This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, you may have heard about it. And uh, earlier today on the Rich Eisen show, Chris Mannix uh, from NBC Boston, writer for Sports Illustrated for a long time, and a, yep. an NBA writer who, quite frankly, I, I like his work for the most part, uh, had a very interesting, if not extraordinarily provincial, take on the Denver Nuggets and why uh, their remarkable run has not gotten maybe the attention that I think people feel it deserves, at least in any depth. And so uh, before we have an opportunity to have uh, Jeff Morton join us, we want to play this about about almost two minutes, uh, an interchange between Maddox and Rich Eisen about why the Nuggets, uh, quote-unquote, aren't interesting. The card the Nuggets can play is nobody talks about us. Nobody, you know, spends airtime discussing us, column inches writing about us, because frankly... The Nuggets aren't very interesting. Like, Nikola Jokic is arguably the best player in the game right now, but he's not someone that does a lot of interviews outside of the NBA-mandated stuff. He's, you're not going to see a lot of profiles on Nikola Jokic. Jamal Murray, great player, not especially interesting. Michael Porter Jr., excellent player, not especially interesting, at least not compared to what we have at the bottom of the playoff bracket, where you've got drama in Los Angeles almost weekly. You've got the Suns. Can they succeed in this first year with Kevin Durant? The Warriors, all their dysfunction this year. The Clippers, can they get it together? The Nuggets problem is they're not respected. They're just not talked about. People just don't find them as interesting as some of the teams on the bottom half of the bracket. Because you you see, I guess, what, Steven Adams doing more commercials than than Jokic? I mean, you're he certainly... He doesn't want to do it. Like, he... he <laughs> j- look, it's a kind of a cliche, but he just wants to play, he wants to collect a check, and he wants to help his team win. That, that's really all that's on his mind... That's it. ...any given week. He's not... You don't see him doing endorsement deals. You remember, when he won the MVP award, both times, the Nuggets had to fly over to Serbia... To give it to him. He was out. He was gone. He was just hanging with his family back home uh, in uh, in Europe. So it's it, they're just not a compelling team to talk about, mm-hmm. to write about, at least not as compelling as some of the other teams I mentioned. Okay. First, give Rich Eisen enough credit that you could basically no, hear that, that, his eyes rolling yeah, you, through you there, could, and, his, and say, actually at one point chuckled. He chuckled Mark, at one I, point about it, it because that is the very portrait of a lazy reporter. The very portrait of a lazy reporter. And that is worth bringing out because we talk about people being lazy when Mark Jackson left Nikola Jokic off his ballot. Fundamentally lazy. He didn't see fit to put any thought into voting. And it's for that reason that his vote should be taken away. That's the reason because he was so unconcerned and spent such little time thinking about it, they ended up looking stupid and, frankly, sounding stupid as he tried to rationalize it. But what you have there is a lazy person on a professional level. What you have in Chris Mannix is a lazy person on a professional level. Joining That's us it. to to talk about this, of course, the idea as, as the NBA media has continued to evolve is Jeff Morton. Of course, uh, if you a long time follow the Denver Stiffs, of Jeff Jeff's one of the uh, anchors of that, one of the great creators of DenverStiffs.com. 
and uh, hosts his own podcast as well as works uh, in a lot of capacities uh, right here with us uh, at Mile High Sports. Jeff, thank you for joining the, the show. It's been a while since we've been able to have you on, so I appreciate it. But the uh, the challenge, you know, you've covered this team for a long time. I have as well. Uh, to my mind, and, and I, I, I'm not trying to lead you on the question, but here's the way I look at it. Chris Mannix's comment there is a symptom of a larger disease that I think is a holdover from the David Stern administration in which six or seven markets mattered and everybody else is basically the Washington Generals. Well, yeah, yeah. And thank you for having me on, uh, by the way. And, and Sherman, I always do my job. So that's that's why you're having me on right now. That's exactly right. Job. You are the antithesis of what we were just talking about. <laughs> exactly. I, I, here's the thing. David, Stern, if people know anything about Nuggets history, David Stern was uh, not entirely a huge fan of the Denver market, and in fact was a big fan of contracting the Nuggets back in 1982. Correct. Yes, when, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, he uh, that's just that is part of the deal. He wasn't he wasn't a believer of the market succeeding in Denver. A lot of that had to do with the Th- consortium. That thank goodness we we had Carl Shear on our side. Right. Exactly. And so there's a little bit of that, you know, if you listen to that, if you listen to that, uh, and Sandy, you and I have talked about this frequently. We've been around this. And if you any familiarity with Nuggets history, you do know that there is this kind of pat on the head. Oh, you're a good story. Oh, you guys got this far. It's okay. Now the big boys can take over kind of attitude in the, it's very, as, uh, as, uh, as uh, uh, Sean said, it's very provincial, right. very, <laughs> very condescending kind of attitude. The Nuggets upset the apple, apple cart this year in a way that they were not expecting, and you could tell based on their coverage, particularly after game one, they were not expecting the Nuggets to be as good as they were. Chris Mannix, by the way, picked the, picked the Lakers to win, uh, go to the finals weeks ago, then doubled down on it at the start of the series. He is one of those pat on the head, you're a good story kind of guys. And this is blowing up in his face in a spectacular way because the condescension and borderline arrogant attitude that people have had about the Denver Nuggets specifically is being exposed right now. And it's, uh, and they can't wiggle away from it because it's on video. The idea here, and it's kind of funny, I mean, just off the top of my head, and I even talked about it before, you know, I came up with a couple of angles for Jeff Green, but uh, Nikola Jokic, a guy that was drafted during a Taco Bell commercial, becomes a a two-time MVP and is reinventing the position. Uh, Jamal Murray is coming off an ACL injury in which he missed basically a year and a half and is playing as well as anyone in the playoffs. Aaron Gordon was a guy that was lost in the shuffle and known as a a guy that lost a dunk contest and has become a a guy that's completely bought into all-in on winning. Michael Porter Jr. has had three back surgeries after being the top high school prospect in the country and now has found himself in a significant role, despite the fact there's been recent family uh, challenges going on for Porter as well. Contavious Caldwell-Pope has an opportunity to win his second ring after vanquishing the team that he won his first one with. Uh, Christian Brown could be a champion two years in a row, both at the NCAA level and at the national level. Bruce Brown has gone from being a, a guy lost in the shuffle as a guy off the bench to now one of the best six men in the league who is wearing a cowboy hat and boots and embraced all things Denver. Those are off the top of my head. 
Uh, I would imagine if someone wanted to do any digging, you could probably find a way to make the Nuggets interesting, at least if you're a competent writer. What am I missing? Well, here's, a, here's something that, uh, that Mannix kind of uh, exposed himself a little bit on this. and <laughs> That's the uh, right there, phrase, too. There have been other people who have mentioned this, and Mannix is one of the more prominent ones. You notice he slipped in there that Jokic doesn't do any endorsement deals. As if that's uh, a capital <laughs> yeah. crime, apparently. Right. Well, the NBA itself, and this is the problem with the league, and, and it stems from the Jordan era, where Jordan, Michael Jordan made it easy on the NBA. He was the most popular athlete in the world. You could argue he is the most popular athlete in the world now. He popularized the NBA, NBA through the world. He uh, was just this, a singular force of nature. The NBA didn't have to do anything. Michael Jordan did all the work for them. They have been working on and been trying to get that same person. Even LeBron has not come to that level. Jordan was a force of, of nature, and they've never adjusted. And trying to make your players go out and get endorsements in order no, for I, you to promote them is ridiculous. I mean, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, Jordan was Tina Turner and uh, LeBron's Diana Ross. You know, and, right. and and both are fine and brilliant and worthy of, of celebration, both sets of people. Uh, Tina Turner comes to mind because she passed away uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, it, it, it different strokes for different folks. Um, Nikola Jokic is among, for post-game interviews on national networks, one of the more sought-out players in the league. I'm not saying he's the only one or that he is above everybody else, but I know the TNT guys, Barkley and Shaq and Kenny Smith and Ernie Johnson, they love having him on. Absolutely love having him on. And he has a rapport with them. And a they find him interesting. And, and they find him funny. They find him interesting. And they obviously have consummate respect for them. Uh, for him and he has respect for them and a sense of history and for somebody who is a serious chronicler of NBA basketball a player with a sense of history is a tremendous bonus isn't it yes LeBron has it and nobody says well LeBron has a sense of history and that's a bad thing they notice it and they praise him for it. Why Jokic, who clearly, it, wherever it, it, you you think he should be from in order to be, quote-unquote, legitimate, he has a sense of NBA history, too. He knows exactly who Shaq is. He knows exactly who Wilt was. He knows exactly who Bill Russell was. He knows NBA history. Not just Nugget history, NBA history. It's fascinating to watch people try to wrap their minds around it, not just not just Jokic, but the Nuggets and how good they are and not being able to comprehend it. And it and it's just part of this. And, 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 and Sandy, and I know you've experienced this with your time covering Nuggets going all the way back to the late 70s. There is an element of we didn't watch happening. An element. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm being kind, Joe. Yeah. And, and there is a, there is a, there's just this 
kind of this vortex flo- floating over the way the NBA and I'm blaming the league once again. It's the league oh. how they how how they cover these things because also some of it. I mean, we got to we got to put this into context too. They lump Denver in with the Pacific time zone, and everything yeah. gets shoved yeah. to late night. No one on the East Coast sees them. And the only time they see them is when the Nuggets come out for East Coast road trips, which are right. often at the end of the year where they're either resting injured players, all this stuff. They don't give them their best thing. They they have that, you know, that kind of like we're going to take you for granted kind of thing because that's the only time they see you. You know, it's all this combining at once. But my, my biggest issue is how blatant it was. I mean, even Gilbert Arenas was on J.J. Reddick's podcast talking about how Nikola Jokic doesn't have it quote-unquote, it. Um, and you had Mike Greenberg this morning talking about how, well, it's natural for us to be covering the Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Lakers, the New York Knicks, who haven't won anything since 1973. Um, who, you, you had know, to like, stick I'm, that in. I was a big fan of, the, fan of the 90s Knicks. So, I mean, you know, but there is a, there's that go all floating around because they know that they drive attention and this self self-fulfilling prophecy in the NBA. One thing feeds into another and they never try anything new because, you know, it's always like, well, we can't do that because they don't get attention. They don't get attention because we don't pay attention to them and all this stuff. And they don't try anything. And it's, they're lazy. And it's the laziness of the league yes. that has just drove yes. me nuts for so long. That, that is definitely the key word uh, is, is lazy. Um, Having said that, uh, I will ask you, uh, since we've talked about it at length, and I'd be fascinated to hear your view, as things stand now, would the Nuggets be better off facing the Miami Heat or the Boston Celtics? Oh, um, <laughs> you know what? I was I would say the Boston Celtics until I learned that Gabe Vincent was not going to be playing tonight and is injured. And that's just yet another Miami player injured. So yes. I'm kind yes. of vacillating now yeah. between the two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was thinking about that myself, Sandy. I was like, which, which one would the Red Nuggets rather play? Because the Boston Celtics are the most unpredictable team in the of NBA. Course. They, they, don't, they don't play like a normal team. They, 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 They're not connected. They, they're, not, no. they're really not. I mean, the individual talent, once you break it out, is stunning, but it's not connected. No, it's not connected, and it's it's they 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 can't win at home, and yeah. uh, it's bizarre. It's it's bizarre. But on the other hand, you got the Heat, who are the ultimate tryhard team, yep. and this is the ultimate Pat Riley team, as you know, Sandy is like that's the that's the Riley ethos. Is, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Riley ethos was not Showtime. Jack no. McKinney invented Showtime. Paul West right. had inherited it, and then, strangely enough. Compared to the Paul Westhead we knew here in Denver, uh, wanted to play slow down, walk it up basketball, and Magic Johnson revolted against that. Riley came in, and Riley was not, uh, at least at the outset, a Showtime advocate. Showtime just kind of happened, and you know, remember Riley's statements. And I, I know Riley a little bit because he was born in the same town I was born in, Schenectady, New York, and I know Schenectady, New York. And it ain't showtime. Schenectady, New York is rebounds and rings, and there's winning and there's misery. That's Schenectady, New York. 
uh, you know, it's it's amazing, and I I think that I think that I wouldn't want to play a team that tries as hard as them at all times, even though the Nuggets are more talented. But I think they would win against both. I guess that that's just trying to have the baby, you know. But that's 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 the way I look. I at think they beat both. Uh, I yeah. I think Boston, because of the word you used, unpredictable, might be a little more dangerous just because their best, which they don't hit nearly as often as the Nuggets hit their best, or Miami hits their best, I suppose, their best probably trumps anybody's best. But if they only hit it once or twice in a series, they're not going to win four times against a team who does bring it every night. And that's why I think Miami will still win, even if they don't win tonight, and I don't think they will. I think they'll win back in Miami over the weekend. Right. Well, and we, you, you and I both know, uh, and and Sean, we all know about the '94 Nuggets coming back from three-zero down against the, the Jazz, which, the in its got, own way, though it gets underplayed, was just as remarkable as winning three straight against Seattle, because that was right. uh, the Utah Jazz at the height of their powers with Stockton and Malone and Coach Jerry Sloan. But you know, Sandy, if you remember that fourth game, by the time they got to the, the excuse me, that uh, that seventh game, by the time they got to the second half, that Nuggets team had nothing left. They had no, given the, the every, three games took everything yeah, out of them. Absolutely everything. By that, you could just see them. I mean, you can see a team run out of gas, and they ran out of gas. So I, it takes a Herculean effort to win four in a row like that when you're down 0-3. And I, 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 that's why I'm not inclined to agree, agree with you that it'll be the Heat that comes through. He is Jeff Morton. Of course, make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at jmorton78. And check out the podcast, by the way, the Gen X Show podcast, which is a uh, a blast. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And Jeff, of course, still uh, very, very much in tune uh, with the Nuggets and Nuggets Nation, one of the original founders of the Denver Stiffs, uh, now a, a partner of My Life Sports. We had a watch party with them earlier this week, and it was a blast. So, uh, Jeff, it's great to talk to you. Thanks so much. And, uh uh, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be able to talk once or twice in, in these finals and they may end up wrapping up with uh, what has felt impossible for Nuggets fans for a long time, the opportunity to hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy, and they're going to be the favorites to do so. Hard to wrap your head around it. Thanks so much. Yeah. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, Andy. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff us. knows uh, more about Nuggets basketball than any young man I know. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's why we were so excited to have uh, have him on. Obviously, terrific, uh, terrific mind, terrific basketball mind. And Ben with uh, the Nuggets really covering them from the ground level when this team uh, started to understand that, that there was value in digital media as well. And so, uh, obviously, that's a very interesting angle on it, too, because as we start to see more and more about the, the clicks, clickbait, right? I mean, what what we're seeing is, Clickbait is interesting because I, I will make this, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but uh, one of the things that, that Chris Mannix said that really bugged me that I think gave away the game was talking about how the drama in LA, what exactly was the drama in LA? What was the drama? You have two Hall of Famers. They made some good trades at the trade deadline. The yeah. team played. What was the drama? No, there was no argue, There was no uh, the Celtics basically doing everything they can to make their coach look bad. There was no drama. There was LeBron James trying to drag an overrated Anthony Davis and an otherwise yeah. undermanned team across the finish line. But where was where was the drama that he's talking about? I didn't notice any drama that was any different than what the Never Nuggets dealt with. The, the laziness is 
We pay attention to the big cities on the coast because that's what Stern's administration taught us. Fortunately, all the stars tend to gravitate there, so they always end up in L.A. or New York or Boston or Chicago or Houston. So those are the only teams we really have to consistently worry about. We'll just pay attention to that. And because they, they've they won hey, titles in the past. Their attitude was the same. It's a legacy thing. Well, like, you just have to follow them because, it, look, they've won. Okay, still Jeff hit it on the, the head. San Antonio Nick Spurs. Nick won in my lifetime. Right. San Antonio Spurs won a bunch, and they didn't get coverage. Yeah, they were kind of boring. Uh, they were boring. Right? Uh, you know well, what? Which they actually they were they not. We were around them a lot, uh, obviously, and they beat the Nuggets a couple of years in the playoffs. Um, Milwaukee, boring. Um, yeah, really. They won the title. A transcendent in player in, gotta, in Giannis, and one of the, the great out of international nowhere. players in the history of basketball. Give, give me a break. The job of a journalist is not to let the story to come to you. It's go get it. Do your job. Go get it. Show so, some curiosity. For our national uh, compatriots, it's not hard. We're not asking the moon. Just, you know, do your job. We'll see. doesn't really matter because you know what? The Nuggets will take boring and uh, take a title just like the Spurs took five of them. I don't think they'll give any backs. They didn't uh, get a lot of love from the coastal media. So, whatever. The Denver Broncos. First OTA practice today, a surprise arrival on the field from somebody you might not have expected. Now, obviously, uh, just a practice, not full contact, little stuff. But interesting news out of Dove Valley today. We'll talk about it next. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Out at Dove Valley, the Denver Broncos had their first OTA practice, something that had a football-like substance to it, as opposed to just working out and learning about your plays. Out in drills, non-contact, obviously, were in May. Running around and actually... Being involved, one Javante Williams. Yep. Coming back, of course, from a multiple tears in his knee. And the expectation is it was going to be a significant chunk of the season until a couple weeks back, Sean Payton indicated that he might be ready for the beginning of training camp. Interesting to see him out there for sure. And obviously, you know, there's there's more to talk about. But uh, I was I was quite surprised. I'm not a doctor. I don't know if that's rushing him or not. But a bit shocking to see him. One of the things that the the Broncos did not really focus on is adding much in the running back department. They did recently sign Tyreek McAllister. And, of course, they signed Samaji P. Ryan, a very, very good addition. But maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's a little fire behind that smoke. Maybe he's Adrian Peterson, who ruined ACL recovery for everybody. Well, (laughs) Adrian Peterson... Uh, back then, when he recovered, it was six months, so he'd be ready to play by now. I don't think that Javante Williams is uh, close to being ready to play necessarily, but I was surprised, too, to see him out there. And uh, there, there, there is, a, uh, I think, only good news here. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that, obviously. That out there. There's no bad news. No. Although, the first time... He will be involved in contact. 
in any serious way would come in the earliest time, would come in the preseason, right? Why would you play him in any of the three exhibition games? Well, I'll tell so you. you're talking still the best case scenario is the first time he plays in a game will be the first time he faces contact. And as far as I can tell, at the earliest, that first time would come somewhere around September 10th, 2023. To get an idea of how unusual this is, Eric Delala, I, I, I know, I think you know as well, works for the Denver Broncos, writes for DenverBroncos.com, the team's own website. He wrote a story uh, this morning talking about the OTAs and published it at 9 a.m. Today, today, here's what Delala wrote. Talking about the road to recovery about injuries to Tim Patrick, Randy Gregory, Garrett Bowles, Lloyd Cushenberry, and Williams. Quote, Peyton previously said he's hopeful Williams will be ready for the start of training camp, which would suggest he's unlikely to participate into the offseason program. This is the Broncos' own website this morning writing to Broncos fans that unlikely to be in this offseason program. Well, nope. Now, that's interesting on two levels to me, Sandy. One, that the Broncos' own website was surprised. Two, the Broncos' own website surprised because, boy, is there any doubt that the man running the show is Sean Payton and Sean Payton alone. Because even the people in the building who are responsible for publishing the PR-type pieces didn't know that Javante Williams would be out there. This is Sean Payton's team. And And he's got a lid on everything. The culture change that is going to happen here, yeah, the the lid is absolutely significant. It's going to be worth noting that uh, things are going to change the way it happens around the Broncos. Uh, the availability is going to be different. It's going to be in a very different situation. Uh, Russell Wilson out there talking about wanting to be the best version of himself. Looks a little bit leaner, to be totally honest. Uh, you're talking about essentially uh, sort of workouts more than anything else. They, they look a little like football. There was an 11 on 11, but you're talking about that sort of quarter speed walkthrough stuff at this point in May. But this is already... This went from being Russell Wilson's team last year to Sean Payton's team. Russell Wilson doesn't run the show anymore, and it's it's clear that that this is a Sean Payton production from beginning to end. Is that a good thing? Oh, I think it's a great thing. I mean, I think it's the first time that not only the team, but getting back to what we were talking about an hour ago with Dr. Rick Perea, it's an organization now headed up by the head coach. With just the team. Culture by design. Yes. Right? Yes. Now, we can argue about Sean Payton's ability to translate that into significantly more wins in 2023 than the Broncos had in 2022, but there is no doubt that with purpose and intentionality involved, he has changed the hierarchy of the organization. The GM ain't at the top. The owner ain't at the top. The quarterback ain't at the top. The coach is at the top. The coach is running the And let's look at the teams that have been good in the last couple years. As brilliant as Patrick Mahomes is, that's an Andy Reid team. Andy Reid's running. We We all know that. Patrick Mahomes will tell you that. 
Andy Reid runs well, that team. Yeah, sure. Bill Belichick runs his but, team. But, 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 that, Kyle that, Shanahan that, runs his team. That, that was true. Nick Sirianni but, runs his team. I, I understand that, but that was all true. I'm, just saying, it, got I'm just saying it's a good thing. It, it, Broncos, this is what the winning teams do. Well, it's what most teams do, actually. Uh, I I think, uh, you know, uh, some I'd, I'd, I'd say some of those names you mentioned, yes, they're, they're in charge, but... I, I don't know if they're in charge of the entire organization. Be- Belichick's obviously an exception. Sure. He is, of course. Uh, I- I'd give Andy Reid that uh, designation. I-, I might even give Kyle Shanahan that designation without much argument uh, to the contrary. Uh, Philadelphia's got a very strong GM. Yeah. Uh, it, who has we do know about John a Lynch lot the to do with that. personnel. And I think nothing against Sirianni. He's been a terrific coach in his first two years and has made some tough calls that, a lot of coaches, especially a lot of rookie coaches, uh, would have been reluctant to make. That's understood. But I'm talking about from an organizational point of view, I would say right now uh, there's Reed, there's Belichick, there's Kyle Shanahan, and there's Sean Payton, guys who are clearly in charge of their organizations. I'm not saying they're the best coaches, one, two, three, and four, and whatever order you want to put them. I'm not saying that at all. Um, Pittsburgh has a very strong structure. I think the dominant personality is Mike Tomlin, but I don't think Mike Tomlin runs the organization in the way that Belichick does, in the way that Andy Reid does. Uh, Andy Reid's got a strong GM, too. I'm not saying that a strong coach who's at the top of the organization right. means that the GM uh, is is a nobody or a yes man. I, I, I don't believe that. But the partnership, I, there isn't such thing as a 50-50 partnership. It might be 50.1 to 49.9, but there's always a tilting. And I think we can see with those people in particular, including now Sean Payton, a tilting Definitely. A little Guilty more than 50.1%, by the way. It's a lot more than 50.1%. Yeah. It's closer to 90, 90 <laughs> to 95%, yeah. in my opinion. Um, I think, obviously, the coach is the most secure uh, employee in the organization, much more secure than the general manager is. Uh, the, the general manager, uh, regardless of how much influence you think he has or doesn't have, if the Broncos win... 10 games this year, he might be back in 2024. I would say nine wins or fewer, which would almost certainly mean no playoffs. Mm -hmm. Coach is back. GM ain't back. It is going to be a uh, an interesting OTAs. Of course, you know, rather limited when these offseason programs get going. But the first to, to kind of take a look at the Broncos under Sean Payton. And, and by the way, you'll get more information from that, of course, following uh, the program today. Of course, Afternoon Drive, you'll have Anil Lapiro and Cody Rourke. Cody uh, out there, of course. Uh, I'll tease it a little bit, by the way. Uh, the Broncos Blitz podcast, the uh, long-running podcast that Miley Sports has done, on the Broncos, I'll be taking over as the host of that podcast and the first one in uh, my administration. Is that what you call it? Tenure? I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, we'll be with Cody tomorrow as we will break down all of that. So you'll be able to catch that uh, tomorrow afternoon on Mile High Sports as well. You hear Brandon McManus was picked up by Didn't the Jacksonville long, right? Jaguars. Took uh, less than 24 hours, yes. I guess. Yes. Congratulations. That makes Great. sense. Hey. Good uh, for him. Uh, last time Good I checked, Jaguars are a playoff they, team, they, right? they caught a kicker who is nine years younger than Brandon 
McManus will be at least come July when he turns 32. Uh, the kicker they cut is 23 years old and made the game-winning field goal in that wild win over the Los Angeles right. Chargers in the playoffs uh, last year. Uh, Brandon McManus was 28 for 36 on field goals last year, a percentage of 778. It was his worst year out of the last five, from 18 through 22. The worst year was the one he had last year. The last time he was under 80% on field goal conversion was 2017. Uh, not a year remembered fondly in these parts because it started the string of losing Bronco seasons, which has now reached six in a row. Uh, across nine years here in Denver, he made almost 81.5% of his field goals. So it's quite a come down from a, a career mark which was affected by last year's right. 77.8 rate sure. of conversion. Uh, over nine years, 81.4%. Last year, 77.8%. Uh, that was enough for Sean Payton to say, uh, we can do better than that, and maybe we can find uh, a kicker to do what, as it happened, uh, Brandon McManus didn't manage to do last year, and that's... Uh, create touchbacks 70% of the time. He was under that figure as well. Uh, Riley Patterson, of course, under on the touchback uh, as well. Only 50% of his kicks were touchbacks, obviously kicking in that heavier era of Jacksonville. But uh, the 24-year-old kicker in the first two years in the league, 87.8% on field goals and 98.1% on extra points. So obviously they, they wanted a veteran there. They wanted a guy that that's, that's actually won something good for Brandon McManus. And I would imagine that, uh, before the season comes in, maybe Riley Patterson gets a call from the Denver Broncos to get a look as they will continue uh, to cast could very well a be. rather wide net. Uh, Brett Maher is the, the, the former Cowboys kicker, right. of course, who kind of all of a sudden seemed to get the yips, for lack of a better yeah. term, oh, but connected to Sean Payton, of course, uh, over the course of his career. At the moment, uh, the proverbial leader in the clubhouse, but I suspect they're not in any hurry to decide who the place uh, kicker and, will be. And, and they shouldn't be. Um, one other point, uh, we can get into this uh, tomorrow or days or, or weeks from now, I suppose. Uh, very interesting uh, analytical piece by Bill Barnwell on ESPN.com in which he is grading the off-seasons of every one of the 32 teams, and he revealed his bottom 16 today. Uh, good news is the Broncos aren't on it. All right. Bad news is that Barnwell last year rated the Broncos number one as the team that helped itself the most uh -oh. in the offseason through the drafting of Russell Wilson. And guess who finished dead last? Conversely, the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, my. And Brian, Brian win them all. Uh, uh, Bill Barnwell is an outstanding football He's writer. outstanding. I mean, he's really and he good. said in his intro, I probably should have flipped. One. <laughs> well, 32 should have been one, and one should have been 32. I will, I will, I will give him this. He was hardly alone at that he, time. He was not, so, uh, he was not alone. Goes. But uh, I, I, I agree with that. And uh, what caught my attention was Team 32 on that list was Tennessee and his rationale behind that. Tennessee can't make up its mind whether it's full steam ahead or full-scale rebuild, and they're kind of in no man's land. I think one of the things about Sean Payton that we'll be talking about a lot between now and the start of the regular season on September 10th is how 
whether he states it this way or not, his actions demonstrate that he's in full rebuild mode. I mean, he let go an established kicker. He's been a good kicker for nine years. And the last link to the Super Bowl championship team, he broke it. That means to me, full-on rebuild. That's the question. Are the Broncos actually rebuilding? A couple other notes I want to get before we wrap up the show, but let's talk about that a little bit next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. For the Never Broncos, now back in OTAs, they find themselves in a situation where, Sandy, you talked about it a bit too. Broncos fans need to understand. <laughs> Hopefully, I think I think the the scars from Russell Wilson's debut season in a Broncos uniform has probably. Um, seasoned the fan base into realizing that even Sean Payton is not a panacea and they're immediately a Super Bowl team. And I and I will say this, it is safe now apparently for Russell Wilson to go to Nugget playoff games by himself without Sean Payton sitting next to him. Right? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I saw Wilson at a game when Payton wasn't right. there. Now, we have seen multiple examples of Payton being there and of course, Russell Wilson won't get booed if he's sitting next to Sean Payton. <laughs> uh, but uh, he apparently feels now it's safe enough to uh, go out without Sean Payton in public. Well, the, the the question you brought up, I think, is fascinating. <laughs> is is this team? Because I I mean, quite frankly, Sandy, I think it is, and I don't I don't think it's a shock that I think it is. I the idea is, I think, to a lot of fans, they they bring Sean Payton in, which then means that the Broncos that that'll take them to the next level. Well, what is the next level? To my mind, this is still a team. You brought Sean Payton in. To me, n- not as a guy as a turbo booster. He's here to rebuild it, yes. remake it in his own image. I and agree. I think this is the first year it starts. The, the Broncos and are... And it is, it, it, they're dramatic changes already. And I understand they haven't played a game, so we'll see how it translates on the field. When I say they're in full-on rebuild, they were in some kind of space last year that no one certainly outside the organization recognized the only guy who recognized it apparently was nathaniel hackett and he didn't even last a full year he was so delusional he couldn't even last a full year delusional and incompetent as a head coach keep in mind the broncos by the way were trying to trade either jerry judy or Cortland sutton they could not get the well, that wasn't they decided not to. They couldn't get what they wanted yeah. to make the move. But those aren't what the moves. What they wanted was, was too much. So I, but they I'm wanted s- picks. That's not the moves you made no, when you're, no, you're rebuilding. No, I, those well, are rebuilding moves. Yeah, the, kind of. So they, they wanted premium picks. And if you don't give us premium picks, i.e. a first rounder for Judy and at least a second rounder for Sutton, we aren't dealing them. So I, I don't know how serious they were. The, the full-on rebuild means that they will be a little more intentional and maybe a little less desperate. Uh, This coach has job security. Uh, We thought, if nothing else, the last one did too. It turns out he was so delusional and so incompetent that they had to fire him even before the season came to an end. It was kind of an Urban Meyer uh, 
without the scandal. Uh, yes, fortunately, uh, just not it, good it as opposed to scandals, Meyer. but yeah. Right, yeah. right. And, and it's very unusual to see awful. in this day and age an NFL coach not last a full season absent a full-blown scandal or scandal. Right. That's almost uh, unheard of. I agree of. with you. The Hackett firing is is much How more unlikely than Myers. My, yeah, right. Myers was obvious. I mean, there, there was no way you could no, not. That was a gots-to-go he's, he's situation. He's kicking players. Yeah. He's got, got right. people he's grinding up on him players. in the club. And right. you're like, oh, my goodness, right. you know, embarrassing the organization. And, and Hackett. Hackett didn't have any scandal. kind of just the opposite. Friendly and super nice guy. Friendly, nice guy. Demanded nothing to the players. No. Certainly wouldn't make contact. Way Heck, over his he keys. wouldn't even go into a dressing room to bring out a player who is ticked off. Uh, and he wasn't alone in that. Other coaches right. were equally reluctant to get in the middle of scuffles between uh, team members, players. Uh, but uh, when you're, I say you're, full you're, on rebuild, you're referring I don't to the Garrett Bowles situation in right, last year's training camp, right? Right. right. I, I don't mean they have to go five and twelve again. No, you rebuild I, on the fly. I am not even saying they have to finish last in the division again yeah. because there is a team that also seems to be in full on rebuild mode, but just doesn't recognize it yeah. yet. Hey, Raiders, and that's the Raiders. Oh yeah. In this division, yeah, they boy, they're they're uh, they're even a worse mess. So I mean, at least you have a softer landing spot, I guess. But I I agree with you, Sandy. I think this is a it's an effort to rebuild on the fly to, to move whatever pieces could be moved in the first off season to get a feel for what's here and then do it again. And and it may end up being uh, Russell Wilson could be out after this year. Uh, Cortland Sutton could be out after this year. Maybe Jerry Judy could be out after this year. Look, there's only so many guys on this roster that you look at and say they're safe, and that the ones that are safe are Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey, who got signed I, to big deal. I guess. They're, they're at least safe for Although a couple Although we've said that before about right tackles when they come in here, well, and the none of them seem to not. last beyond one year. Contracts is not going anywhere, I, I, I at least know, for two. But you can still cut them. But yeah, you know, that's probably right. Justin right. Simmons, is, Pat Sertan. Sure. I'm just saying we've thought that before. But for the most part, even even some of the younger players that uh, I think I think we think have promise. I think of Baron Browning. Uh, I, I I think those guys are look. You're you're trying to impress the coach all over again. This isn't the yeah. guy that drafted you. This well, isn't uh, the guy that I'll, brought you. I'll tell you, you who's safe. Javante Williams. I'll tell you, well, yeah, can't I, do I, anything with him. Obviously, he's hurt, but. The, the two safe players on this team, without question, are Justin Simmons, Simmons and, Sertan. and Patrick Sertan. Untouchable. That's it. Probably right. That's I it. think you're probably right. And now it depends on the and the coach because you know who else is safe for a few years? Uh, Sean Payton. Right. He ain't going so anywhere. So there are three people in the organization. That not includes, on the team, George in the organization. Payton, while we're at it. There are yeah. three people who are safe. Sean Payton, the head coach, cornerback Patrick Sertan, and safety Justin Simmons. And that's it. Everyone that's else is in prove-it mode. That's right. it. And so this is going to be an interesting year. Look, uh, the Broncos are not Super Bowl contenders. They are rebuilding. Now, that doesn't mean to strip it down to the bolts, but they're well, not, rebuilding. Nobody does that. When right. people say clean house or tear it all down, functionally, that's, that's that is the, not possible. You're the Oakland A's because you're trying to move to, the, to right. Las Vegas, as a matter of fact. But that doesn't happen anymore. So we'll find out as OTAs continue. And, of course, uh, our, uh, the very next program. You, you course, mean the Oakland A's are now 10 and 41 yeah. and are a good bet, in my opinion, to challenge the 1962 Mets, who were 40 and 120 as the worst team of all time. 
they are on a pace that would leave them with fewer, I believe, than 30 wins at this point. The difference is theirs is intentional. And the uh, Vegas taxpayers apparently got to an agreement, so the A's are going to Vegas. It might be as soon as after this season where they may play in with the uh, Vegas Aces place until the new building could be built in 2027. Uh, the A's are trying to get out of town. That is that is a tank job. The Broncos don't have to do that. We'll find out a little bit more as the uh, OTAs roll along, and you'll find out in just a couple minutes because Cody Rourke, who's on with uh, Neil Apiro on Afternoon Drive, of course, out there at Dove Valley Today, thanks to Dr. Rick Perea for joining us. Make sure you uh, check out the symposium that Dr. Rick and Sandy both spoke at yesterday. DogNation.com, D-A-W-G, Nation.com. Look at events. You can stream the whole thing on YouTube. I'll be doing that as well uh, over the course of the weekend. Make sure you check that out. Jeff Morton joining us with some great stuff on how the NBA media works. And uh, good luck, by the way, to the CU Buffalo's men's golf team. Uh, led by Dylan McDermott, going to uh, play in the Greyhawk Golf Club out in Scottsdale. CU's first appearance in the national championship for men I think since Scotts- 2002. Scottsdale might have more great golf courses than any community on the face of the earth. Buffs start tomorrow trying to uh, claim the national title in golf, so good luck to them as well. Been a fun program, of course. We'll look forward to uh, finding out maybe, maybe, maybe who the Nuggets play tonight. We'll find out with the Heat and the Celtics. Heat, of course, having some injury issues. We will see. But, hey, Boston's done some weird stuff before. We'll find out. Either way, we'll have a chance to talk about it more tomorrow. Thanks to Danny Bailey making us sound great in the booth and making everything work uh, with all our guests. Thanks to Andrew Detmer on video making it work, uh, accommodating Dr. Rick while he was in studio. Can't get it done without those two guys either. So thanks so much to Danny and Andrew. Thanks to you for tuning in, however you've done it, whether it was the app whether it was the radio station, you name it. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow at 2 for Santa Clough. I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports.